Amen. Text this morning is from Psalm 55, the entire psalm. These are the words of God. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance, We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them. Even he who abides of old, Selah, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. These are the words of God. Heavenly Father, take these words, raw with emotion and full of hope, and use them to draw men and women to you with faith, with courage, with sincerity, trusting you like the psalmist and as your son David did, or as your son Jesus did, when he walked these similar paths. Conform our thoughts, our hearts, our loyalty to your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've been progressing through a series of Psalms, the 50s, and uh, you might have noticed that um, we are constantly coming upon enemies. I told you as we got into these next 10 Psalms, enemies are all around. But there's been also this progression um, that, we've, that you should notice. I want you to, to pick up. You know, you can't always tell um, the reasons that the Psalms are organized in the different books. There's five books that make up the books of Psalms. And then within those books, there are certain themes, and sometimes you can see how they are gathered together and collected, and other times, like like many of the Proverbs, they they don't seem to have natural connections. Well, there is a progression going on here as as we've gone. In in, in 52, we have uh, a betrayal. In 54, we have a betrayal. And in 55, we have a betrayal. In 52, we had the betrayal 
uh, of Doeg the Edomite, not a friend of, of David's at all, someone who was serving Saul, and he betrays, um, uh, he, he betrays David to Saul. In Psalm 53, we saw that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This, the, the, the fact that all men are enemies of God. 53, in 54, we then see another betrayal of David. The betrayal this time is of the city of Ziph, the Ziphites, who he had gone to try to hide from after, after it was told to Saul that he was in that area. He goes to this desert city called Ziph, and he tries to hide there. And they're Judeans like David. They're of the same tribe. And and yet they, wanting to kind of keep a, um, a good word in with themselves, with, um, with, with Saul, they go and they tattle on David. They say, David is in our midst. And, and so David has to flee again. Th- this time, it gets even more personal in 55. This time, um, this psalm is responding to the most painful betrayal since this time, as it says in verse 13, it came from his companion, his friend, whom he took sweet counsel together as they gathered together seeking the Lord in his house. And David seems in this passage, in this psalm, far more than the other two psalms to stagger under the blow. He will complain to God, and there is a vast difference between complaining about God, which is a terrible thing to do, and complaining to God, which Um, he actually welcomes. Notice that as we go through. He will complain to God about a situation, about a providence that he knows God has brought to him, and yet he will not complain about God. He will complain to him. And so this is a great song to sing when we are under a great burden. For For it is a song that David sang under his great burden. Our goal, our goal as, as we go through this, should be to learn how to offer prayers that cannot be refused. This prayer was answered by God, I'll show you this. And we are to learn to properly obey God's command to cast our burdens upon him. Psalms are, are interesting. We, often, we, we oftentimes think that we are, when we sing to God, it's just about singing praise to him or making requests to him. But as we see, it's also declaring who he is to the world and to one another as we sing, and the Psalms do that. And it's also, there are commands in, in the Psalms. And here we have a command. It's actually the application of the Psalm. Um, and we'll see that when we get there as well. So we, are, we, we, we need to learn to properly obey. What does it mean to cast our burdens upon the Lord? And the other thing I want you to see as we go through this psalm is that Jesus is right here in Psalm 55. The life of Jesus is right here again. And we remember that his betrayer, Judas, was also a companion of his. One that he enjoyed for years sweet fellowship with. Uh, At least it appeared to, to others. Jesus cast his cares upon his father, despite the acts of his traitor and the enemies who arrested, tried, and crucified him. And we'll see the parallels here of David's agony and Jesus's agony as well. So, as we dive into this, I want you to think for a moment. Tyler already exhorted you in this way. What is your burden? What are your burdens? Because this, this psalm is about what to do with those burdens. What you are to do with those burdens. Those burdens which are genuine. They're real. Burdens which often are deeply personal. 
Not just, not just the world is, not, is, is doing poorly or there's some bad people out there or some terrible things going up, but no, it's attacking me. There, there's a situation that is very deeply personal to me. And it's devastating. It, it's devastating. It's, it's too much. It's overwhelming. What are those burdens that you are carrying right now? Because what you will be instructed to do with those burdens is very, very important as we go through this passage. What are your burdens? So the first 11 verses is this complaint before God that David gives um, to, to explain, he's des- describing his situation and how he's feeling about this before the Lord. Unlike Psalm 52 and 54, we're not told the specifics of this psalm. We don't know exactly when this psalm was written or what situation um, David has in mind. But from the sound of it, it may have been during the revolt of Absalom, his son, and the betrayal of Ahithophel, his counselor. That, that takes place, if you should know this story, it's in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18. And this is a story where David, after assuming the throne and, and being there for years, is, is driven out by a, by a group of conspirators that Absalom has raised up over time in the city. And the city has gone wicked, and it wants to drive out the anointed king. And David has to flee for his life from, from that king, um, crossing over the brook Kidron and into the Mount of Olives, and then out until um, he finally is able to bring a, a, a number of troops that are going to go against Absalom, and you need to read the story to, to find it. But this, is, this psalm is taking place while he is fleeing, or while he is in exile, while he has been turned away by his son, by his counselor, and by his city. He begins by pleading with God to hear him, as if God had forsaken him. Listen again to verses 1 and 2. He says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Do you hear that? Don't hide. It seems like you're hiding. Attend to me and hear me. I'm restless in my complaint and moan noisily. It, it, it's very obvious that he is coming before the Lord and probably has been coming before the Lord over and over again, and God isn't hearing him, it seems. Listen, God, listen to me. It reminds me of, of Psalm 22, where um, the psalmist begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from, my, and from the words of my groaning? And of course, we know that those are the words on the lips of Jesus as he hung on the cross and bore our sin. As the, as the presence, the, the, the pleasure of God his Father is taken from him. And he bears the weight of the wrath of God because of our sin. He cries out, what is he feeling? What is he experiencing? You have forsaken me, Father. You've forsaken me. And this is the, the, these are the words that come out in psalms. This is the, these are the words that are to come out of us in prayer as we cry out to God in our burdens. His complaint, he explains, is against the slanders and oppression of a wicked bunch in verse, verse 3. He's truly overwhelmed with horror, he says. He's overwhelmed with the horror of it all. The threat of his de- demise is before him. He, he truly does not know if he's going to survive. And he is in agony with fearfulness and trembling, verses 4 and 5. This is not a little burden. This is a heavy, life-threatening burden. This is a burden that not only threatens his life, but the very relationships within his family. He is, everything is coming apart. His city is, is casting him out. 
If there was any way to escape it all, he says, in verses 6 and 7, he would take wings like a dove and just flee. But he can't. He's in the midst of this trial. He's in the midst of this burden. It won't go away, and he can't get out of it. Verses 6 and 7. And then there's this selah. We don't know what sila means exactly. It, it, it appears to be to, uh, a, a musical term that says there should be a short interlude for a time of meditation. So oftentimes as we give our confession, our prayers of confession, we, we, will, we, will, re, we will say one up here and then we will say and sila and, and we give us an opportunity individually to meditate upon that, uh, our sinfulness and the confession, the personal confessions that we need to make. But the sila does, doesn't end, he, or the, the, the theme doesn't end with the sila. And verse 8 continues, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. So having thought on it, having meditated on it, David still says, I want out of here. I want out of this mess. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. This was the state of mind of David as he escaped Jerusalem, as he's fleeing from his city going over the brook Kidron and up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. You can find this in 2 Samuel 15. That's the direction that he goes. In verse 30 of 2 Samuel 15, it says, So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up and, it, and had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. Weeping. As they went, as they left Jerusalem, as it looked like it was, they were gone for good. They would have crossed the brook Kidron. They would have gone through or passed the Garden of Gethsemane, if, if it was there at that time. And then on to the Mount of Olives. And I point that out because the son of David took the same path. Took the same path on the night that he was betrayed. He, he also went out with great agony. Mark 14 says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. And then in verses 33 and 34 of Mark 14, it says, and he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Now, now just pause for a moment there. This is Jesus speaking. He knows why he's been sent. He knows what is going to happen. He knows this is God's appointed plan. He knows that he's agreed with this appointed plan. He, he wants this to happen. He, he, is, he is all for the salvation of the world. But he knows what he's going to have to go through to do so. And he doesn't chalk it, just say, well, it's all predestined. It just doesn't matter. You're just going to have to go through this. No, he's a human. He's fully man, as we talked about, as we read the definition of Chalcedon. And he was experiencing the agony and the sorrow of what was before him, of what, what he was going to have to go through. And, and the suffering, the suffering of the sinful separation of sinners from God. He was, he was going to experience this. And it brought great agony upon him in, in his soul. He cries out. David wished that he could fly away. And Jesus prayed, oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. So Jesus faced his burden, even the effective work of his traitor, with strong crying and tears. Have you, have you ever wondered about uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, speaking of Jesus, says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. 
Jesus knows what it is to cry out to the Father. Jesus knows what it is to have a heavy, overwhelming burden upon him. David was just simply a type. And so many of our lives are types. The antitype is Jesus Christ himself who bore these burdens. And we learn from him how to bear such burdens then. Both David and Jesus faced genuine, devastating burdens. And we learn something about courage here as well. Courage is not the absence of fear. David cried out in fear. Jesus cried out with, with, with great consternation. But they were both courageous in their fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what you're required to do despite your fears. It is not inconsistent then for a true and living faith to break down in fear and crying and weeping before God. That, that is not a sign of a lack of faith. That is your faith being tested as you go before God honestly, crying out to him, casting your burden upon him, to him. Do you see that? That, that, that kind of faith points you in a particular direction then in the midst of the fear. So true, true courage, true courage in the midst of burdens takes you by faith to lay those burdens, to give them to God, to see him take them. The city had been over, uh, given over to violence and strife. Uh, we don't know all that was going on if this is talking about the time of Absalom's um, uh, betrayal of David. But remember, Absalom spent a long time standing before the courts where there were apparently long lines of people to see David and, and receive judgment. And he would say, you know, this court system, this government system's real slow these days. And, and I don't know if that, the judge is going to handle you. Oh, the, if, I, if only I was a judge, he said, and he stood tall and strong, and he was beautiful, and, and, and people began to turn to, to him and away from the, the, the judge and the judgeship that David had established. And over time, he grows this conspiracy against David. In the midst of this, the, the people turning away from the anointed king, the city gives itself over to all kinds of wickedness. And so we read, destroy, um, well, it says, um, it, it says in verse uh, 9b, it says, For I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. So what do we have here? We have iniquities all around and within. We have oppression and deceit and certain destruction upon the city. Absalom had stolen the hearts of the men of Israel, and his conspiracy grew strong, continuing, continually increasing in numbers, it says in 2 Samuel 15. Evil had taken root in the city. Also, and so David prays, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. It's interesting pray, interesting prayer that he gives. As he sees the enemies that have, have now encircled, they, they are Israel, they are Jerusalem, they're the people of Jerusalem. They've encircled the city with their wickedness. This evil and wickedness and deceit is in the city. And he says, God, what you've got to do is you've got to divide them. Divide their tongues so that they cannot all together fight against you or fight against me. And so he says, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. He's praying, remembering how God dealt with Babel. 
another arrogant city building its own way to God, asking God to confuse their speech and divide them, which, so oft, which he does so often and mercifully doing it among, amongst evildoers. Um, James Boyce in his commentary says, we would be many times worse off if people could actually get their acts together and work in harmony against the righteous instead of fighting among themselves as they habitually do. And, and, and amen to that. You even see it in the, so much of the, of the crazy um, insanity in our world today of, of the enemies of God, the enemies of the truth, of, of what it means to be created in God's image, and yet their inability to really work together because they fight among themselves so much. This is, a, this is actually a blessing to us as it, as it keeps them from growing in, their, um, in, in being, being able to consolidate their power against the church so far. So it's a genuine burden. It's a genuine burden that that David is experiencing, but it's not just genuine, it's a grievous personal burden. Again, verse 12, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. So it's his own companion, possibly Ahithophel, a dear counselor to David, who has joined the rebellious leader, Absalom. Here's the source of, of the deepest sorrow for David. And Spurgeon writes, the poetic fury is on him. He sees the traitor as though he stood before him in flesh and blood. He singles him out. He points his finger at him as opposed to the entire city. He points to just this one. He, he challenges him to his face like Julius Caesar at two, Brute. But turning back to the rebellious city in general, David cries out then for their utter destruction in verse 15. So he doesn't cry for the utter destruction of Ahithophel. He turns back to the whole city and he says in, in verse 15, Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell or shale, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. This is imprecatory language. This is what is known as an imprecatory prayer, a prayer of cursing, of damnation upon God's enemies. And it's remarkably common throughout the Psalms. It's important to distinguish between the prayer of the judgment of God upon wicked men from simply a, a, a spirit of revenge. How dare he take, take my lane, God? Bring him down as you're driving in, in, in your car. That's, that's not the time to use imprecatory language. But when God's righteousness and God's holiness is being turned on its head, being rejected, and especially as it's, turned, as it's being rejected by people in power, it is right to call for God to bring them down, to break their teeth, maybe literally or maybe figuratively so they cannot speak these words anymore. It, it, it is right to call on God to, to, to bring them down in their own condemnation, and, and at the same time to pray that he would bring them down by his mercy, that they would be broken before the cross of Christ, and that they would join with us, they would be overcome, they would be conquered by the gospel themselves as we have been conquered. But in, but in, uh, in, in either case, what we're doing is we're praying for God's righteousness and God's justice and God's ways to, to have their way as the kingdom spreads, as the work of the kingdom spreads, as the increase of his government goes forth. That's what we're praying in such prayers. It is right for God to overthrow the wicked. 
It's right for God to overthrow the wicked. And thus it's appropriate for God's people to pray in such terms. And and we see here also David is recalling another throwback in the kinds of words that he chooses. He says, let them uh, go down alive into Sheol, um, let, and for, uh, for wickedness is in their dwellings among them. That just open up the ground. The, the idea is that David is recalling back to the time of the destruction of Korah and his followers in the days of Moses, when God's authority vested in Moses was challenged. It wasn't, it wasn't a personal thing against Moses it, it, that, that, God, that Moses was calling for God to, to vindicate him. It was God's righteousness at, 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 upon the one who he knew had been appointed, that, that he, he gathers the people of Korah, and then the ground opens up and swallows them in number 16. In the same way, Jesus prophesied, spoke to his generation, and he said, in this generation, that all of the things that I've prophesied about the destruction of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem are, are all going to come to pass. And they did. God answered both prayers. God answered both requests. God vindicated his anointed, and he does so over and over again. We should learn that God will vindicate his anointed. God will vindicate the persecuted church. God will vindicate um, when, when, when evil rulers do things against the church, and they do, and we see a, in the video, we see a long period of time, oftentimes, of persecution or suffering that the church experiences, but what we can see in Scripture is God will vindicate. God will bring down the, the opposition. So, what are you to do with such a burden? What, was Dave, what, was, what does David do with his burden? He says, as for me, I will call upon God, and Yahweh shall save me. That's what I'm going to do. That it's, it's like we say sometimes, well, it's finally come to that. We're going to pray now. We've tried everything else. I don't think that's what's going on in, in David, but, but certainly see, he sees Where where is the victory going to come from? What what is going to be the means of bringing about that victory? It's prayer. It's casting your burden. So he says, as for me, I will call upon God, and Yahweh shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. So David's running from the city, running for his life, and he's running from the city, from the enemies, and he's driven to the Lord in prayer. So the situation of such a great burden drives David to prayer. Where does your burden drive you? Where does your burden drive you? For so many... It drives us simply to despair. But it drove in the despair, in the overwhelming, in the agony, in the suffering, it drove David to prayer. To prayer in a God, to a God he believed in. He believed was with him in the midst of that. And in driving God's servant to prayer, what happens is the enemy has overreached himself. That's that's what happens. Because uh, this is the turning point of the psalm right here. This is the turning point of the psalm. Uh, Puritan George Horn writes, prayer is the believer's universal medicine for all the disorders of the soul within and his invincible shield against every enemy that can attack him from without. 
Listen again. Prayer is the believer's universal medicine for all the disorders of the soul within and his invincible shield against every enemy that can attack him from without. Prayer is this Christian's superpower. Prayer is the Christian's superpower. But we must learn how to wield this weapon. We must learn how to wield the weapon we have been given. David and later Daniel are similar in adopting disciplined countermeasures against pressure from the world. David writes, evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. And we know of Daniel, we know what took place with Daniel where it says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that, that no one could pray to, to, to the God of Israel, but only um, they, they had to bow down and worship um, the idol instead. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. So, so David needs to figure out a strategy how to save his life. He needs to figure out how to rally troops. He needs to figure out how to stay alive as they wander through the wilderness. He needs to learn how to, he's got to figure out how to protect himself. And three times a day, he stops and prays. Evening and morning and at noon. I, I don't know if it really means for David just, just three times. Or if the idea is co constantly. To being offered up prayers constantly. But again... What has your burden driven you to do? What has, your, uh, what has your burden driven you to do? This is just not simply a token prayer at the beginning of the day just to say that you did. <laughs> yeah, oftentimes people, you know, they, they have their prayer time and it's, it's kind of, it kind of becomes just a little check the box. Well, I did my devotion, check, okay. But does that prayer time ever sound like this? Give ear to my prayer, O God, and don't hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily. How much more should our devotions sound like that when we have burdens that we are carrying? As we've gone through these psalms, it has just occurred to me over and over again for myself, and I want to pass on to you again. It is not enough to agree with these psalms. It's not enough to learn about prayer. It's, it's not enough. You, you have to learn to wield this weapon. And it takes work. It takes work to learn how to use this superpower. It takes work to learn how to wield this kind of shield. This kind of sword. So... It, it, prayer is David's strategy. Like, what are you going to do, David? I'm going to pray. That's David's first step. And it is his great hope. It's his great hope. He shall hear my voice, he says. Every time the fear comes, every time he's overwhelmed, every time his mind is overrun with anxiety, the answer is that he will pray. And he will pray until his soul is redeemed in peace from the battle. He, it's, it's, he will pray until he has found that sweet peace that passes understanding. He will pray until it wins, until prayer wins. I, I finished a book by um, 
by Jim Wilson. Jim wrote uh, a book called Answered Prayer where he takes you through a, a number of times that he prayed for a number of different things and how God answered them in, in just miraculous ways. But through in the midst of that, there, there was many times that, that Jim spoke about how he prayed and he prayed until he knew that God had heard his prayer. He prayed until his soul had peace over the matter. I'm too busy for that too often, I think. I'm too busy for that, I think. I haven't learned to wield the weapon. Learn to wield the weapon. He prays until his soul is redeemed in peace from the battle. Verse 18. God does not only hear David, he also hears, interestingly, he also hears the, the slanderers, the voice of the slanderers filled with malice and pride and the rebellion against his anointed. Verse 19. He says, God will hear and afflict them. God will hear. Oh, you think, evildoers, you're, you're over there just doing your evil things, saying your evil words, your blasphemies, your apostasies, your curses upon God. You're, you're mocking his righteousness and his ways. And you think God isn't seeing this? God isn't hearing this? You don't know my God. He's not missing a word. He's not missing a word. Their noise, it says, reaches to heaven as well. God will hear and afflict them. Speaking again of the, um, of the probably of the counselor Ahithophel, Ahithophel. Their buttery words of flattery do not hide the war against God in their heart. He's not fooled, verses 20 and 21. And David's prayer was answered. Absalom was hanged without a rope, and Ahithophel was hanged with one. You'll have to go and read the story if you don't remember. And Judas was hanged with a rope. There's a promise in Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. And so we come to the application, which is verse 22. Preachers, when they're preparing a sermon, have to spend time in the text. You need to objectively observe the text and make observations. You need to interpret the text in light of the situation that you find yourself in today. You need to take those principles then and you need to figure out how to apply the, the scriptures, how to apply the story, how to apply the psalm, how to apply the, the principles in, into people's lives. And you, as you're preparing a sermon, you spend a lot of time having to think about how do I apply? I don't have to spend any time. It's given right straight to me. Verse 22. Uh, all of Psalm 55 arrives at verse 22 with the command, the application. Cast your burden on the Lord. Cast your burden on the Lord. The application is writ large. We're called on to cast our burden on the Lord. And so consider, if God can handle David's burden, if God can handle David's burden, how much more can he sustain you in yours? Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. If God can take the burden of Christ and use it, use that burden 
to bring the salvation of the world, you know, the, the words uh, uh, in, in Acts 4, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand, Lord, and your purpose determined before to be done. The entire burden that was, cast, put, that was put upon Christ, Christ cast before his Father, and the Father used it, not only in his death, burial, but in his resurrection for the salvation of the world. Well, if, if, if God can do that with that incredible burden that Christ bore, how much more can he make that kink in your story turn out to actually be the perfect plot? The perfect plot. The black swan in the story. In the story. Occasionally in this life, occasionally... We find, we find the kinds of things that um, happened to us actually were for good reasons and we didn't realize it at the hard time. Oftentimes in life, we never know why. We're not told. There's secret things that belong to the Lord. But a psalm like this teaches you that you can cast that care, even that one that you can't figure out, upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He, he will help you win the battle for peace, for faith, for hope in the midst of it. Um, it's interesting to think about just the word for a moment, cast. The, the Hebrew word shalak is translated throughout the Old Testament in a variety of ways. Cast out, cast off, cast down. I love this one. Hurl! <laughs> and cast lots which is particularly interesting because the word burden, the word burden means the lot which is given. The lot which is given. You are being commanded to cast that lot which God has given you. And you're commanded to take that lot and cast it upon the Lord. Cast it upon him. Here, you take it, God. So that, that's, that's part of what prayer ought to look like, okay? Here! You take it, God. I cannot bear it. That, that's what your prayers should sound like. That's what they should look like. Consider the old hymn, Whate'er my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That hymn writer knew what it was to battle unto peace. And in great contrast, the lot for the one who trusts God is distinctively different than the lot for the one who betrays God. And so in verse 23, But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Now, Peter will use this idea as he addresses saints under many trials and persecutions. You heard it during the time for prayer, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And so, yes, casting cares upon God is an act of humility. It is an act of saying, I can't handle it. It's an act of getting rid of your pride. See, it's, it, is, it is a proud man who thinks that he can live his life without walking in the light, without walking with Christ without walking, trusting that everything, has been, everything is in his hands. No, I can take care of this part. I, this part of my life, I never pray about this part of my life to God because I can handle all this. Don't ever say that. 
humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God that he would exalt you and cast all of your cares, all of your burdens upon him. Why? I love this. Why? Because it's the right thing to do, Christian. No, that's not what Peter says. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. We need to hear that, don't we? God cares about you, about your burden, your genuine, personal, devastating burden. He cares. He cares for you. Paul will use this idea to show us the way of peace amid any anxiety. And so he'll say, be anxious for nothing. There's no burden that you need to be anxious over. But in everything by prayer and supplication, evening and morning and at noon, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Same idea, cast your care. And the peace of God, there it is, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He will sustain you. He will sustain you. God can sustain you, or ask, can God sustain you in your trial? Yes. Not only so, he provides the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except as, such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted or tried. The same word, temptations, trial, same word in the Greek. No trial has overtaken you except as is common to man. God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you are able. But with the trial, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Huh. Give Give the entire messy affair of your life to God in prayer. For he will redeem your soul in peace. So again, I ask you, what is the unique, genuine, personal, and devastating lot in your life? An illness? A disability? A relational dilemma? A financial nightmare? A recurring trial or temptation. What is your lot? Hurl it. Hurl it upon the Lord. It's Advent. Advent is a season of expectant waiting in anticipation of the coming of Jesus, both the incarnation and as well for the church, the final second coming. Advent is the season of waiting, of expectancy, of longing. It's a time we call on him. We call on him to come, remembering that he did in the incarnation and knowing that he will in the final judgment. We cast our cares on the one who will make everything right. Your sin, forgiven, justice and righteousness reigning over the land and peace on earth. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Father and our God, receive every burden, every burden we cast before you. There are things too difficult for us to bear, and we often feel alone, unheard by you. But we cry out to you in faith, and we take our anxieties, our fears, our terrors, our deep burdens, and like David, like Jesus, we cast them upon you, 
Discipline us to do so, evening, morning, and at noon. Cause us to cry aloud, but to cry aloud to you with faith, for you will never permit the righteous to be shaken. In Jesus' name, amen.